This is Sunday morning worship service, January the 14th, 2024, here at the Pine Level Pentecostal Women's Church. Today's guest speaker, Reverend Bobby Forehand. He'll be speaking on dry bones out of Ezekiel. Here's the CE Director, Reverend Mac Perry. It's time in our service to receive the message this morning, and we are so thankful again today to have Brother and Reverend Bobby Forehand. Thank you, my brother. Well, it is really indeed good to see you, and I'm thankful that uh, I can be here today. i got to be somewhere, and I'd just as soon be here as anywhere else. I heard one man say one time he'd rather be here than in the best hospital the, <laughs> the town had. But thankful that you're here too. As I, no one, I do not take your presence for granted. One thing came to mind, two things actually, and I'm going to be gone when the day's over, so I can say it and, you know, keep the songbooks in the uh, rack. You don't need to throw them at me. Somewhere, God has the pastor for you. Somewhere. Now, you pray for your board that is a interview that the Spirit of the Lord would guide them and direct them. And that uh, as they are, your prayers will help direct them. So don't cease there. And when the new man comes, whoever he may be, welcome him and get behind him. As long as he never does anything immoral or unbiblical, stay with him. The Lord will bless you. Now, I heard mention made of accelerant. I was at the very first one. Back then, they called it fire and ice. Um, I think the meaning was the fire, meaning the fire of the Holy Ghost, and ice meaning the skiing. That's how it got its name, I believe. But uh, we rode with my best friend, Celia and I did, and our two children. They had chartered a bus, and it beat us driving all the way up to West Virginia. And when we got there about 1 o'clock in the morning, I could not believe the number of people that were standing in line to register. I knew a great deal of them. And I was surprised that they came. But um, it was a, a big success, as I recall. Now, I don't know. Well, I do know you'd need $3,500, I believe I heard correctly, to reach that goal. Invest in your young people. If you do not, I will promise you in a few years only five or six or 20 of you will keep this church up. This church, as all churches, are one generation away from dying out. I'm serious. So you throw in your extra $20 or $30, if you can afford it, $100. Don't put all the burden on this church to do it. You help and have part in it. It is one of the best investments you can make. 
besides supporting missions, this would be the best you could ever do. How do I know? I've pastored both churches. I have pastored both churches like that. And some of them, and you can guess which ones, can't you, were dying out. And when the church loses its vision, I don't think the Lord has made the pastor that can bring a dead church back. Well, only the Lord can. Let me rephrase. And before I say something that is sensitive, never kept me anyway. Just go ahead and support them. And church, if you have to dig in a little, do it. You'll never regret it. There was a church. I pastored it. At one time, they had 90 people in their youth group. 90 young ones. And the leader, one time, had a big outdoor gathering with her. It was a lady with her youth group. And she brought in a group to sing And this was years ago when it was okay to listen to country music. I mean, the Manhattan died and divorced and had a red truck and and a dog. It was a real good time. And, And you know something? That group sang one country song, and the church got mad about it, and the youth group died. The whole four years I was there, I heard one man talk about, we want those 90 that used to come too late. It was just too late. The lady that was in charge, you know what she did? She quit. Her dad was a retired Pentecostal holiness preacher. She came once in a while, very seldom. Be careful. Support these young people. Look, I know they're going to wear hair longer than I do. In a few years, I won't have to worry about that. Every day I'm reminded of that. They're going to listen to music that you might not like. I know that's the truth. I got a son who makes his living playing for contemporary musicians, gospel musicians. Names I could call that you probably would recognize. Some of the younger people would anyway. That's how he makes his living. To me, it's not Goodbye, World, Goodbye, which is one of my favorite songs, but it reaches people. He has reached more people in a few years than I've reached in all of my 51 years of ministry, 53 actually going on now. It's an amazing thing, but support them. Stand with them. And in 20 years, a lot of us will be in heaven But they'll still be here carrying on the work. Why? Because you loved them and that taught them to love the Lord. I'm going to read from Ezekiel 37 verses 1 through 3. Ezekiel says, The hand of the Lord was upon me and carried me out in the spirit of the Lord and set me down in the midst of the valley which was full of bones and caused me to pass by them round about. And behold, there were very many in the open valley, and lo, they were dry. And he said unto me, Son of man, can these bones live? And I answered, O Lord God, thou knowest. 
sometimes I'm glad I was not Ezekiel to have been in the valley of bones. I mean, you know, he actually is in captivity right now. But the Spirit of the Lord moves him to another location. And he sees this valley of bones. Uh, Had it been a battlefield where a lot of people had died and their bodies never recovered? I I really don't know. Could have been. All he sees, no flesh, just bones. Just nothing but bones. Of course, that would include teeth. But that would be it. And the Lord asked a question that I would think, and so would you, would be rather rhetorical. The answer would obviously be no. Ask me, can I go to the cemetery and raise the bodies of the dead? If I could, I might would bring my mother and daddy back. They may not love me for doing it because I'd bring them back out of heaven and I wouldn't want to do that. But I would say, no, I can't do it. And I know what Ezekiel is thinking. And that's why come he said, Lord, you know, <laughs> I certainly don't know. I mean, parched, blanched, dried bones. And God said, now look, the Jews were not supposed to walk among dry bones. They couldn't touch the, uh, a dead bone or a bone of any animal. Uh, Samson broke that when he slew the Philistines with the jawbone of an ass. You know that. And they could not touch any living beast that was dead. And now God himself who gave that law says to Ezekiel, you walk among these dry bones. I want you to get a good look at them. And as you look at them, I want you to come up with an opinion as to whether or not these bones can live. And so he walks through. He looks at one bone after another. And he can't tell if it was male or female. He just knows it's a dead bone. And he looks. They're blanched. They're dried. They're white. And he's thinking this can never happen. And the Lord said, in essence, you have got to believe me. These bones are dead, and I want to ask you, can these bones live again? I have pastored that church before with dead bones in it. I know. And, you know, I have known many of my, what I always thought was my best sermons, to just go right in one ear and out the other. If they'd have just stopped one ear up, maybe it would have just stayed in there. But it was a thoroughfare. And you wonder, can these dead bones ever live again? I mean, you know, I want you to see something, Ezekiel. I want you to see that while your nation is in captivity, while Israel is in Assyrian captivity and Judah in Babylonian captivity, I want you to know that my plan for them has not altered nor changed one bit. I want you to know that one day these dead bones are going to live again, and this is a lesson I want you to understand. Now, Ezekiel, you have a sermon to preach. Now, Ezekiel, you've got some encouragement that you can give to your people, your kinfolk, your loved ones that are in captivity along with you. Look, I won't tell you how we can have revival. There are some signs, and I believe in revival. I was talking before the service this morning, and it has bothered me how uh, 
the fact that churches no longer have revivals for the most part. When I left the pastorate to become the Christian education director of our conference, we were still having revivals. Churches still had revivals. As a pastor, up to then, I was called many times to hold revivals for people. As CE director, I was as well. But when I got back into the pastorate, I began to see, and it was during that time, that revivals began to be things of the past. And churches don't have them as much as they once did. One of the things I remember as as a young man growing up, I looked forward to revival. I never wanted the evangelist to leave. I looked forward to the altar service because it was always very effective and folks gathered around it to really do some praying. Folks prayed through to the victory, but I move on. Why a church would ever give up having revivals, I don't know. The last church I pastored, I asked one of the deacons when was the last revival. He said, I don't remember the last revival we had. So we went back into that two revivals a year mode. I believed in it, still do. Revivals need never become a thing of the past. But it takes some things that we have to do to have revival. Number one, we've got to be willing to listen to the Word of God. The Word of God must be preached. The Lord said, you prophesy upon these bones and say unto them, hear ye dry bones, the Word of the Lord. We can have revival when we hear the Word of the Lord. If you proclaim the Word of the Lord, that's the number one step in getting to a revival. One of my evangelist friends now in heaven once said to me, he preached revivals. He said sometimes they would go two weeks. He said it took a week to get the church ready for revival and then a week for the church to begin to bring the lost in and they would become saved. We've got to hear what the word of the Lord says. We've got to hear, go ye into all the world and preach the gospel to every creature. We have to hear the Lord added to the church daily such as should be saved. We need to hear they continued steadfastly in prayer and the word of God. We need to understand these things. Do you know something? The day of Pentecost, in addition to the speaking in unknown tongues as given and as directed by the Holy Ghost himself, it was highlighted by a loud mouth, put my foot in my mouth all of the time, outspoken, speak before I think, Peter. Now that man preached one of the greatest Pentecostal sermons that was ever preached. Do you know that 3,000 souls were won to the Lord that very day? 3,000. And that night when they had church, they had 120, 3,000 that night. Isn't that something? Have 120 this morning and 3,000 for the PM service? Wouldn't that be something? That happened, and it was all done because he preached the word. He didn't tell all of the things that had happened to him, how he had betrayed his Lord, how he had denied the Lord. You see, people need to hear the word. 
They need to hear the Word of God. They don't always need to hear our personal testimonies and all the ills and the woes and the things that have beset us. We need to lift up the name of Jesus. And when we begin to do that, you would be surprised, perhaps, maybe not, but we would realize more than ever the glory that comes down from heaven and we would feel rejoicing, rejoicing moments, hallelujah moments, if you will. We would understand all that it means we would say it's like it used to be. Well, you know, the days like it used to be are long gone. I can tell you I'm glad that I feel like I was in the golden age of revival. Maybe I was not, but I realize some things have changed. But I know one thing, I know this, that I am the Lord thy God, I change not. I know this, Jesus Christ, the same yesterday, today, and forever. I believe still in revival. I was saved in a revival. I was sanctified in a revival. I was baptized with the Holy Ghost speaking in tongues in a revival. I believe in them. You can understand they have been a vital part of my ministry. My son was saved, sanctified, and filled with the Holy Ghost in a youth camp, which was a revival. My other son was as well. I can tell you one thing. We need to keep right on praying for that revival. A revival is a place of encouragement. It's a place of counseling. It's a praise, a place of love. I tell you, it will make us love one another. It will make us forget the ills of the past. It will make me forget what you did to me or what I did to you. It will help us. We will embrace each other in a Holy Ghost love, and there will come victory and shouting and rejoicing like we've never known before. You want revival, the preacher will preach better. You want revival when you have it, this choir will sound better. You have revival. The offerings will increase. The attendance will increase. All because dry bones can walk. All because the Lord said, you go through these dry bones, man, and you tell me, can they ever live? And when he began to preach and prophesy to those dry bones, you know what happened? They had revival. Those dry bones as dry bones, had no clue that they were dead. They didn't know that they were dry bones. But you preach the word of God. And then you've got to have unity. This is the second thing. When there is unity, there is revival. As I prophesied, he said, now this is in verse 7. I didn't read that. As I prophesied, these bones came together, bone to his bone. Preaching, gospel, holiness, preaching will unify people. I believe it. The bones begin to come together. The word of God proclaimed will bring our differences together. It will bring about forgiveness like you've never seen before. It will bring about a closeness like you've never seen before. It will dissolve petty differences and there are differences, and some are very petty, if you allow me to say that. And I didn't get permission. Easier for me to get forgiveness, I suppose. But David said, it's good for brethren, and by that he meant folk, to dwell together in unity. There was unity on the day of Pentecost. 
I mean, do you know something in the, the aftermath of Pentecost? Look, the folks cared one for another. They broke bread together. They went daily from house to house praying, breaking bread. And if anybody had need, they saw that they got it. They didn't give everything they had. It wasn't a communism, a communistic type. It wasn't a cult. It wasn't a communistic type uh, thing. But if you have need and I had it, I'd give it to you. Here I go again. That's why I don't believe in churchyard sales. If I got something that you need and I'm done with it, you can have it. I've given away table saws. I've given away um, other machinery. I like to do woodworking. And you need it. I've got a new one. Have it. I don't have to have your money. Okay, just keep the songbook where it is. I'll move on. But sometimes I like to camp out at a place. You understand. And just think about it. Every church I've been has had a yard sale. And I didn't give something to it. And I didn't buy anything. Just bring the tithe into the storehouse. Take care of those who have need. That's that's part of, of what I honestly have learned to believe. I want unity in the church. And there comes a powerful anointing through every one of you. The anointing is not just for the preacher. The anointing is for everybody. If the anointing were just for the preacher, we'd be a select group. We'd be snooty. We'd be up here with an I am better than you are. I've got the anointing and you don't. But that's not what God intended. He intended for every one of us to have the anointing. And if unity doesn't show up, neither will revival. It will never happen. Oh, you'll have preaching. But there will never come real Holy Ghost, heaven-sent, God-ordained revival without some unity. I played the guitar until I lost a little bit of my finger on the woodworking tools I love so much. And I wasn't great, but I could play for the service and nobody said I shouldn't. And some mornings, it didn't matter how hard I tried, guitar would be in perfect tune and I'd get up there and find out it's not in tune. I'd always get to the church sometimes an hour ahead of time just to make sure it was in tune. And then I'd play it later, and if it wasn't in tune, because they will get out of tune a little bit, and I'd tune it back up, get the service, and I'd realize something's wrong with the amplifier or my ear, but I'm not in tune. And I learned it, it was my ear, not my amplifier. Do you know something? Nobody in the congregation knew that. No one in the congregation knew that I was out of tune. But I knew it. I knew it. If you're out of tune with God, I don't know it. The ones in the pew with you may not know it, but you know it. 
If you don't have that unity, if you not, don't make the, the beautiful noise that God gave you or the beautiful tunes or the beautiful songs that God gave you, get that unity back. Become as one group. Sometimes, and this is true with any stringed instrument, your, your strings have to be tuned to the other. E-A-D-G-B-E, that's how you tune a guitar. And each string has to be tuned to go along with the other string. And when it's all right, whatever fret you put on, whatever chord you play, it's going to sound good. But if not, and just look at us as strings. If we're not tuned to the other, not all sound alike, but if we're not tuned to the other, we won't make a joyful noise unto the Lord. Oh, but if we are, our praise and our music and our worship and our preaching reaches the portals of heaven. And every now and then, I believe heaven's choir stops just to listen and hear music that glorifies the king of all the ages, the giver of our lives. You can't program it. You can't organize it. You can't have a meeting and decide to say, let's get in unity. You can't have a meeting and put out a, a program or a, a, a thing, a, a campaign. Now, this is going to do it. Look, if the Holy Ghost isn't behind it totally, go to another plan. And I want to tell you something. The Holy Ghost does not have a plan B. We need to get in touch with him. And I believe if we all get in touch with him when we come together, we will all pretty much agree on the same thing. Because that's what he does for us. And then for bones to revive again, for revival, there must be strength. I mean, the Lord said to Ezekiel, this is in verse 6, the preceding verse, I will lay sinews upon you and, you, and I will bring flesh upon you. Now, flesh and sinews, muscles in my bones, that's why I can stand. That's why you can stand this morning because not only was there the breath of God that he breathed, there's not only unity, not only there is the word of God, now there's strength. And we need strength to do that. You know, strength in my body, strength in my inner man. When God's strength flows through us, we have a wonderful, lasting revival. It takes strength. Physical strength and spiritual strength. When God's got a work for us to do, we need to pray, Lord, give me strength for the journey. Help me to have that. Give me the, the strength to, to overcome obstacles. Don't you dare think the devil won't put them in front of you. But that's a sign that you're doing the right thing. All of these roadblocks he throws up in front of us. What happened to those men after Pentecost? After they were persecuted for the Lord's sake, they were so glad that they were worthy to be whipped and stripes laid on their back. And these were people were, as the Pharisees said, uneducated Galileans. These folks don't know anything about religion. It's a good thing they didn't. They knew more about a relationship with Christ. 
And they said, these men have turned the world upside down. That's what real revival does. It breaks barriers. It turns things upside down. It, it turns viewpoints. It v- turns perspectives upside down. It, it turns everything. It just moves it. It will revolutionize the things that we know we need so much because we have the Word of God. We have unified unity. We have strength. Then we have revival. And the covering of God will bring revival. The Lord says, I'll put flesh, I'll put sinews, and I will cover you with skin. Oh, the covering of God. I think that's one of the things Jesus meant when he said, the Spirit of the Lord is upon me. He was covered with the Spirit of his Father. I want the Spirit of the Lord to be upon me, and you do as well. I want to be covered. I not only want to be covered with his arms, I know I'm covered with his blood. When I am covered with him, with his spirit, when I am covered and know I can walk with his covering, I can have revival. As he began to prophesy, as he began to preach the word of the Lord, there was a noise. And it wasn't people saying amen. It was bones shaking. The Lord was in essence saying, Ezekiel, you've prophesied. You've proclaimed my word. There is unity. There is strength. Now get ready for my covering. Get ready for some noise. Get ready for some bones walking around. (laughs) That's God's way of completing the process of revival. Folks that have sit like knots on logs will begin to testify, will begin to praise the Lord because they have the covering of God on them. Not the covering of man, not the covering of the church, not the covering of the church attitude, not the covering of what kind of church it is. They will have the covering of God himself on them. God's covering will bless you. God's covering will shelter you. It is what? It is the covering that holds it all together. It is the covering. It's my skin my flesh, my outward flesh that, that you see that holds everything together. Revival holds everything together. The church will go through rocky times. It always has. We'll go through some turbulent times. We'll go through some stormy times. But God's covering keeps us as one because we go through it in unity. In unity, there will be no division. There never should be. And it will define who and what we are. The covering of God. It holds us, it keeps us, it provides for us. And it will let the world know who we are and what we are and what we stand for. And they will never have to come by this church or any other church and say, that used to be. That's one of those used to be churches. That's a church that used to shout the victory, and now there's five cars in the parking lot, and, and nobody ever shouts. Nobody ever prays. 
We've got a, quite a number of churches that are about to close. Some of them once were our biggest churches. Some of them once were deserving of uh, some of the better pastors and preachers in the entire conference. But some of those churches are about to close their door. Isn't that sad? One church used to have more churches in Sunday, people in Sunday school than any other church in our conference and at one time in the entire denomination. Give it a few years. It will close. It will close. You don't have revival. You, you don't have a covering. That's why we need evangelists. You read Ephesians 5, God gave to the church. Evangelists, they're God's gift to the church. He also gave pastors and teachers. But the evangelists are the gift. Use the gift that God gave. Open it up and see what it is. Use evangelists. Revival will identify who we are. I was in two great revivals and the speaker in none of them. Well, I was at the first one. I was a one-night speaker, two-night speaker. They had other ones. It was among teenagers. They wanted me to talk about healing. They assigned me a topic. I hadn't even become a minister of uh, ordained, uh, licensed in the conference yet. But a couple of them knew I was a Christian, and they wanted me to speak about divine healing of all things. But here were some folks that wanted to make a difference. It was on a Tuesday night, I believe. I went back on Thursday. It was in the fellowship hall, or the area between the fellowship hall and the sanctuary. I went back on Thursday night, as they asked me, and the sanctuary was packed. They had people sitting around behind me, beside me. Folks were outdoors uh, on the steps of the church. I mean, adults, teenagers I went to school with, didn't think I'd ever see in church. And they were not Pentecostal people. Of course, this was not a Pentecostal church. But I'd never seen anything like it in all of my days. I never really had. And I don't know... And they wanted to be filled with the Holy Ghost. And in, in my night, I said, you've got to be saved and sanctified first. But, you know, you just can't stomp that Pentecostal blood out of me. When I was a teenager, we had L.B. Collins, who at that time was a pastor of Fuqua Arena, come and preach revival. Donna Lucas, our pastor, got him. He wasn't necessarily known as a man that had an identity with young people. It was not supposed to be, or say, it wasn't planned to be a youth revival. But something about that man's preaching touched the hearts of you teenagers. And I will never forget Every night the altars were filled with more and more teenagers. And one of the deacons told Daddy, Brother Lloyd, this revival is the talk of the town. <laughs> At the end of that revival, 27 teenagers joined the church. 
We have an annex in my home church because the sanctuary is, was not big enough to hold the crowd. So they stood in front of the annex, a, a built-on place. My father called it the shelf because it was about two, two and a half inch, uh, two, uh, three feet, a little taller than the main sanctuary floor. They had to stand in the annex to receive the right hand of fellowship. Out of that group have come preachers, missionaries, missionaries' wives. My sisters, two of them, one married a preacher, one married a man that became a preacher. But my sisters were sanctified and filled with the Holy Ghost in that revival. I'm just saying to you, revival really brought about a great deal of church unity. It always does. It was that covering. It was the anointing of that preacher that brought anointing to our teenagers and, you know, we used to have youth revivals, and folks expected that. But just a regular revival, a man that I had never heard of, it was not him nor anything else except the covering of God, the anointing of God that brought that about. And how much anointing? All of the anointing. We need all of the anointing. And then the fifth thing I'm going to tell you is that we need the breath of God. You know, Ezekiel prophesied to the mountains, to the forest, and now he said, you prophesy to these dry bones. He believed. He didn't understand but he believed. He obeyed. All he could see is a dead army, a bunch of has-beens, a great deal of used-to-bees. But now he has to preach. He has to pray. And here comes the answer to his prayer, the promise of God that the dead bones would live again. And, and, and you know what the Lord was saying to him? The best is yet to come. Believe me, Ezekiel, the best is yet to come. I mean, he looked like a sleeping army to him. It did initially, but before long, he saw what the power of God could do. He saw what the Word of God could do. He saw what uh, the unity that God would bring about could do. He saw what the strength that God could bring would do. He saw what the covering of God could do. And now it is the, the breath of God, and it brings about great revival. I mean, the most important was yet to come the bones begin to come together. I mentioned this earlier. They're still dry, but they came together. But what a good are, are the... You've been in the doctor's office. You've seen the, the, the skeleton that all of them have. That's all Ezekiel was seeing that day. Now, they'd come together, but it's still a skeleton. Then they're covered with flesh and skin, and then everything else. Now, one thing they did not have was life. God breathed the breath of life into Adam. He became a living soul. And God breathed his own breath into those bones. 
that he had caused to live. We, we use the term inspiration in the Bible. All scripture is given by the inspiration of God. Well, that means it's God breathed. God breathed here. Just like he did on the day of Pentecost. And now we're living. Now we're walking around. Now we're talking one to the other. You know, I can't form a man. I can't shape a man. I, I can't draw a straight line with the ruler. But God fashioned a man. And all he had was a, a fashion, a statute, if you will. But God went to the mouth he had created or shaped or formed. Once he created everything, he began to put the shapes on it. And he breathed into Adam's mouth his own breath God's own breath and God breathed some sense into that man I think he was the most intelligent man that ever lived he named every animal now you think about it I think he chuckled when the giraffe came along Uh, he named the serpent He didn't call it a snake, but the serpent hadn't, the ground hadn't been cursed. The curse hadn't been pronounced on the human race. And after that long display of every animal, he had to name the trees. I mean, this is a man smart enough to do every bit of this. It came from God. The only thing difference between a live body and a dead body is breath that's the only difference one breathes one does not breathe some churches have real revival even though that and some just go through the motions you know i like preaching here because i get the sense that you you don't go through motions i can tell by the singing of the choir blesses my heart I mean I'd come every Sunday just to hear the choir sing I've preached in a good number of churches since I retired at the end of 2021 and this is the first that's had a choir and I so appreciate it and some of our churches incidentally that ought to do not don't understand that but that breath of God it will change you Let God breathe in you. It will give you that anointing. It will give you an inspiration. It will, you become God breathed. The breath of God. It was the breath of God that moved upon the face of the waters, upon the face of the earth. It was God breathing. I want God to breathe into me, don't you? He doesn't have to give me physical life. I already have it. He doesn't have to do anything but put his breath in my body, if you will. I'm, I'm using an example, I suppose, and I will have a new life. He did that the night I I got saved I didn't have enough sense to know what was going on but I look back to that night in 1957 when God did that for me as I grew older I realized what he did for me today I am thankful that God indeed did that for me how about you I want the breath of God to live in me every moment of every hour of every day we there used to be a song published in a little uh, uh, paperback 
hymnal that the church of God sang, Oh, let the Holy Ghost from heaven fall on me. I want him to fall on me all of the time. It has to be God that breathes revival into the church. I cannot do it. The, the pastor cannot do it. The, the evangelist cannot do it. It has to be coming from God. But when God breathes, look out, dry bones are going to come to life. Folks that never even testified in church are going to stand up and testify. Folks that never have thought about uh, anything else are going to start thinking about what can I do for the church? What can I do for the Lord? What can I do for my neighbor? What can I do for, for those that work with me? What can I do? That's what the Spirit of God will do. That's what revival will do. I cannot tell you how many doors will be knocked on and said, please forgive me for fussing at you the other day, neighbor. I, I should not have sent your son home because my son started the fight. You understand, right? I know these things. I've experienced them when I was a boy myself. Forgive me. I want that to happen again. Your son, your daughter, welcome anytime at my house. They can stay to eat if they want to. I'll give them supper anytime they want it, and it comes right back. That's what a revival will do. It just doesn't change the church. Who makes the church up? People. It changes people. That's what revival will do. Oh, the sound of the weeping saint is indeed the sound of a revival. The sound of a rejoicing choir is indeed the sound of revival. The sound of reconciliation between two brothers or sisters or families is indeed a sign of revival. Re-energized re pastors, renewed pastors, renewed board members, renewed Sunday school teachers, all of that is the sound of revival. All of the ministry leaders, when they are renewed, when they are re-energized re by the Holy Ghost, that is the sound of revival. I want the sound of revival sweep through like a mighty rushing wind. I want the sound of revival to be in you. I hope you want it to be in me. I hope you want it to be in yourself and in each other. I'll tell you, the sound of revival does not come in through the doors. It, the Holy Ghost comes in just like he pleases. You can't seal him out. You cannot lock him out. If you will open your heart, he comes into you and he will have revival. I don't believe for one that the days are over. I know we live in a Laodicean church age. I am rich and increased with goods and have need of nothing. A lot of churches feel that way. Look, this is the Laodicean church age. But uh, I'm not rich. I'm not increased with goods. I have need of everything the Lord will give me. How do I know? I counsel thee to buy gold that thou mayest be rich. Anoint thine eyes with salve that thou mayest see. Wool that thou mayest be clothed. And the shame of thy nakedness do not appear. What is God saying? He's saying, believe me. Proclaim my word. Go in unity. Go in strength. Go with my breath. Go in peace. Go in glory. Go in revival. Go in movement. 
we can still have that. Hear this and I close. Most churches will not. Most churches will not. Or either the word is incorrect. Most churches will not have revival. They, the world's heart is not set toward the altar any longer. And, and this isn't true in Pentecostal circles. It's true in the church world. But we can be the exception. And, and Pentecostals not only can be the exception. A lot of the other denominations are the exceptions. The revival I told you about with the teenagers, that was the Methodist church. And the pastor had to come over and check things out to make sure things were done decently and in order. I don't think anybody had ever spoken in tongues in that church. But they did then. God moved. You do not want to be the exception. I want the breath of God. I want dry bones, if there are any bones at all, to be filled with life. Would, would you stand, please? I thank you for doing that. I believe I told you back in August when I was here that I believe in the altar call. I, I started out as an evangelist and I grew up with altar calls and I believe in them. So I'm going to ask you please, I'm not going to ask you to raise your hand or anything like that, just to make your way to the altar, to the front of this sanctuary and bring your need before the Lord. Bring your hunger for revival before the Lord. He will fill your hunger. He will fill you with all the things that your souls desire. He will put his desires in your heart. Then his desires are your desires. Delight yourself in the law of the Lord. He will give you the desires of your heart. Does not mean I'll get a new car or a new truck or a new tractor. It means his desires now have become my desires and I desire God. His law in your heart. You get what he wants you to have. More of him. Father in heaven... We are blessed this Sunday morning to be here, to hear your word presented as best I could, to, to hear the church praise, to sing joyfully, to sense your presence, which makes a difference between a speech and a sermon a song and a joyful noise to sense your nearness to where to be aware of all that you are and to be aware that you want us to be revived that you may that you want us to have that spirit of revival to be aware that there are many people in this town that have yet to be reached Put that desire 
in our hearts to reach those people. Society has likely cast them aside, sees them as worthless. May we look at them, dear Lord, like you looked at that sheep that went astray, that little lamb that was lost. I ask you that. We don't know how many people that lost sheep knows that need the Lord. You make the connections. We do our job as ministers, as soul winners, as witnesses, which you require each of us to do. You bring them in. We bring them in. from the grasp and reach of Satan and you take a broken vessel and you make it again a new vessel that seems good to you to make it help us Savior help us I pray bless this church in its search for a pastor you have the right one in mind you do May we just seek, may this, these people seek, and when they reach and find, may they realize, just like Abraham's servant did when he saw Rebecca, no, this is the one. This is the one my master wants me to take back to his son. Help us, Lord, help them to see that. And to know that in this church will move forward greater than any other time in its entire history. We'll not forget the blessings, the pastors, the people that have brought us along the way in the past days. We will love them. We stand on their shoulders. But bring us, Lord, to be greater, greater, greater than ever before. Keep us, keep us, Lord. Bring revival. Bring that spirit of revival, that love for revival, that desire to seek you for revival, for our dry bones. Lord, if there's any bone in my spiritual body that's not soaked with your will, I'm a dry bone. I want you to wet me down good. I want to walk again. I want to have life again. I pray, precious Jesus, as we depart this place, go with us. I ask, be with us. In the name of Christ, I ask. Amen.
the Pine Level Pentecostal Church Incorporated, copyright 2024.